We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup against the Detroit Pistons. Let's get this out of the way now. No, I don't feel very well. Yes, I am under the weather. If you listen to the postgame for the Hornets uh, matchup, um, you know what I'm afflicted with, and I'm getting better by the day, but the content never stops. And I will say, I think I can confidently proclaim that I don't feel as bad as the Detroit Pistons are playing. So the Pistons come into this game, losers of 15 straight games. I waited to record this until after the Laker game. So they're on a 15-game losing streak, 2-16 and 16 on the season. This is a team that won 17 games last year and might have gotten worse. Um, and we're going to talk about this matchup because a normal fan base would look at this and see an opportunity to boost the net rating and... Uh, experiment with some lineups or uh, stat pad, if you will, but not us. The PTSD has set in, I think, officially that we're going to be the team to give the Pistons their first win in 16 tries. Well, let's talk about this team with uh, Bryce Simon of the uh, the Pistons Pulse podcast. It's a podcast for the Detroit Free Press. And I got to say, I really enjoyed this conversation. This guy knows his basketball. He's a former D1 athlete as well as a former youth basketball coach. Really broke down the Pistons from an analytical and an X's and O's perspective. So we'll get to that in just a second. Some connections between the Knicks and the Pistons. Obviously, once a Nick, always a Nick. Alec Burks, a Tom Thibodeau favorite. One of the more misunderstood athletes in Knicks history or players in Knicks history because he became the ire of so many people three years ago when he was, I guess two years ago when he was starting over Emmanuel quickly when that lineup ended up being a positive, but it was like not his fault that he was playing out of position and Tibbs went with point Burks. Um, regardless, Alec Burks is a piston. We'll see what type of game he brings to the garden on Thursday. Uh, Kevin Knox, former Knicks lottery pick. There is a rabbit trail that Bryce go and I go on where we talk about Kevin Knox's future in the NBA. Uh, Jaden Ivy is a, a piston lottery pick and Mark Berman came on this podcast or specifically draft class uh, a couple years ago and said that Jaden Ivey was the apple of the Knicks eye and that they were going to do everything to trade for him. And they didn't. Instead, they took Jalen Duran, who is the apple of Knicks Twitter's eye. 
Uh, and the Knicks, instead of keeping Darren and seeing what he could be, they traded him to the Pistons so they could open up cap space to eventually sign Jalen Brunson a week later. Um, the Mitchell Robinson extension was also a, a move that followed, as well as the Isaiah Hartenstein signing. So um, those are the four roster connections that you can make. The Pistons coach, Monty Williams, is also a former Nick, uh, lot, not lottery pick, but he was the 24th pick in the NBA draft in 1994, played on those teams um, as a first round pick uh, that made it to not the one that made it to the finals, but the one that made it to the second round twice, both in 95 and 96. And then the other thing I want to bring up. So let's talk about the Knicks and Pistons and their playoff history together. So in 1992, the Knicks beat the Pistons in five games. I believe that was the first round that season because the Knicks won in five and they lost to the Bulls in seven. In 1990, in the conference semis, the Knicks lost to the Pistons in five, four to one. The Pistons then went on to beat the Bulls in seven seven games. Uh, Scottie Pippen has the migraines in game seven and the Pistons win their second straight title was with the bad boys over Portland. Um, But now let's go back to 1984 which a, a, a bit of a project I, I took on upon myself a couple of years ago was to really acclimate myself with what the NBA was like before I was born. And while the Celtics are really like the team of the eighties in the Eastern conference, Larry Bird then becomes like the guy of the Eastern conference in the eighties before Michael Jordan started to, to take some of the, the shine and, and become, it became like Michael's league from 84 on while Bird was winning MVPs and championships. Well, 1984, uh, the New York Knicks had a guy named Bernard King who finished second in the MVP voting that year. And man, imagine, I can't even like really explain what it'd be like to have a guy that was justifiably in the MVP race. Like I think Knicks fans, we recognize that our guys sometimes, even when they're good, there's a national thing about how, yeah, but you're only talking about them so much because it's New York and they're overrated because if they were playing for the Clippers, if they were playing for the San Antonio Spurs or for one of these smaller market teams, we would never hear about them. But because they play for the Knicks, it's a big deal. Well, how about Bernard King um, finished second MVP that year? And then when Larry Bird in the 1984 NBA finals, after he won the MVP for the finals, in his acceptance speech, Brent Munzberger is saying, like, you're the MVP, even if the Lakers had won this series. And he says, well, I think there's a lot of guys that could have won MVP. There's Bernard King. There's Abdul Jabbar. There's a lot of guys. I'm just glad we got the win. So in the same sentence as Larry Bird and Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Bernard King is mentioned. One of the just forgotten to time players in Knicks history. Uh, number 30, for that matter. And in 1984 against the Detroit Pistons in the first round of the NBA playoffs, Bernard King in a five-game series win that the Knicks won in five, he averaged 42.6 points per game. In game one, he had 36. In game two, he had 46. In game three, he had 46. In game four, he had 41. And in game five, he had 44. And it's not too shabby that he also averaged eight rebounds and 2.3 assists in this series as well, shooting 60% from the field. This this is I mean he did all this taking one three pointer in the series too like just like to tell you how different the league was back then he took one three in in that that entire series that he averaged forty three a game just he got hurt the following season and it was like a career changing injury but man Bernard King uh, one one of the greatest 
uh, eras in Knicks history, uh, this stretch from 83 to 85. Um, and obviously his highlight in a Nick uniform is probably this series against the Pistons. So this is a mini tribute to Bernard King. Um, back when both of these teams were contending for the playoffs. That is not this matchup, I'll tell you that much. So let's get into it. My conversation with uh, Bryce Simon of the Pistons Pulse about this Knicks matchup against the 2-16 and 16 Detroit Pistons. Enjoy. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Joining me now here on the Knicks Film School pregame show. We are, full disclosure, recording this before the Pistons are about to play against the Los Angeles Lakers. So the records on your screen may not be reflective of the current record. We'll see if the Pistons end their season-long losing streak or the NBA's current season-long losing streak against the Lakers or if that record changed. Uh, but until then, joining me to talk about this Detroit Pistons team that may be coming in on an even longer losing streak to play the Knicks. Um, he is of the Pistons Pulse, which is part of the Detroit Free Press. He's also a contributor, one of the co-hosts for Sam Vecini's Game Theory, friend of the pod, Sam Vecini, from uh, the times we reach out to him during draft coverage. He is Bryce Simon. Bryce, thank you for joining me tonight. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. I was excited, man. You followed me on Twitter. I'm like, I'm following this guy back. He's got quite the following. I'm, I, so complete transparency. I started out just doing piss and stuff, and then now mm -hmm. it's grown to the game theory with NBA draft, NBA stuff at large. And so now I'm trying to follow every team a little bit more than just specifically the Pistons. Obviously, that's still my wheelhouse. I get it. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, that's my wheelhouse. That's that's the team I watch 82 games of. But yeah, man, I'm I'm excited to talk about your your Knicks a little bit at some point as well, because I got a couple players on your squad I really like as well. So well, well, plenty of time to get there. Don't worry. And this is our effort to try and cover all 30 NBA teams is this pregame pod where we try to get the outsider's perspective on what's going on around the league. So it's not just from the Knicks bubble that we judge other teams, which is why I am so curious with this first question, <laughs> because obviously it's not been great. The two and 15 start at, at time of recording um, at 14 straight losses, I believe 13 14 straight, straight losses, 14, 14 straight losses. Yep. yep. Um, I, I mean, Quite simply, did you expect it to be this? I don't know if what expectations you came into the season with, whether it was playing or just low lottery. Was it going to be bad, but not like this bad? Like, what were your realistic expectations coming into the season? 
my realistic expectations was improvement, which for a 17-win team, that's not a whole lot. But I was thinking, hey, this team wins 27, 28 games. Cade Cunningham looks like a dude or the dude. Jaden Ivey takes a little bit of a step forward. You know, those type of things. And you're feeling pretty good about where you're at as an organization. This is way where, and, and here's what makes this bad, Andrew. This team has lost a lot of games the last few years, right? Everybody understands this. They kind of were trying to lose games the last few years because they wanted to get draft picks and all of that. They're not trying to do that this year. This was not the plan from the organization was not to quote unquote tank and all of that. They're trying to be competitive. They're trying to win. Right now, it's obviously not working at all. So then when you come into this season with just be better is the is the expectation. That's the desire for this season. I don't mean to have you speak on behalf of the entire Pistons fan base because I don't I don't know if you have that power just yet, but I think you could give me a good temperature check of how the fan base feels. It's the first year of a new head coach that got a really big contract. So you try to grade it with a little bit of, of mercy and a little bit of leeway. But what are the vibes in Detroit right now amongst the fan base that it's like this bad this early? It's bad. Like the fan base is fed up. They're calling for jobs. They're calling for change. They want like some of them want Tom Gores to sell the team. Like mm. I was like, honestly kind of like that Tom Gores, the owner just writes the checks and stays out of the way. Personally, that's what I want from the owner of the team that I follow. But some people are like, it's Tom Gore's fault. Some people want Troy Weaver fired now. That's the GM of the Pistons. And, you know, I, I don't know every GM across the league. So for your listeners, Troy Weaver, he used to be with OKC. Um, you know, you can't fire Monty Williams because you just signed him to a huge contract. Some people don't think Cade is any good and they want Cade Cunningham traded all of a sudden. It's all over the place. It is not great vibes. The funny thing is, as a content creator, you'll appreciate this. We just went live on Tuesday night, me and Omari for the Pistons Pulse. We had our most watched live episode of the season. So even though the team stinks, people are invested still right now, which is kind of cool. That's the important thing. Like as, as someone who's been through the the doldrums of a content season like that, and you're trying to find uh, uh, things to talk about and interesting things for people to care about. Now, Knicks fans are a little nuts, so they'll be like a 300 word article about the G League will be like your highest trafficked article. Chris Herring tells this story all the time about how he was given like this little corner of the of the I forget the the New York publication that he was working at. But he got like the the bottom corners, like write write a simple little thing, and it was their most read thing uh, awesome. in that issue of the article. So like Knicks fans at least have an appetite for it. But it's good to hear from your perspective that like people still care. Like there's yeah. there's frustration, but the worst thing than frustration is apathy. And like I'm a Jets fan, and I think a lot of Jets fans are getting to apathy at that point because like we know nothing's going to change the team is run by a quarterback that's 39 years old and may not play although i know videos made it around social media but i digress um point being it's good that fans still care and i think we both have established that but i if i can get specifically about how they feel or i guess maybe more so how you feel about some some certain players you mentioned yeah. Cade cunningham we here at Knicks Film School, we do like our top 75 of uh, players in the NBA before the season. We do it during the off season. And Cade was in there, but it was with a little bit of like, we want to see 
something yeah. this year. Like the only the, the best news we heard from Kate, I'm sure you heard it, was during the the FIBA tryouts when yeah. he Team was basically select. playing on the practice squad. And like the big news out of this, like, whoa, Cade Cunningham. And then this season, they've gotten off to the start. How are you feeling about Cade after three years or two plus years, you know? Yeah, l- listen, I understand some of the frustration with Cade right now, but I still think Cade's very, very good at basketball. I'm not willing to just sell on him being what I thought he was when this organization drafted him. Now, maybe there's a chance he doesn't hit that ceiling. Maybe there's a chance he's not a number one option, but Cade Cunningham is still good. The problem with Cade is he hasn't been efficient so far, Andrew. He hasn't necessarily shot the three well. He hasn't got to the free throw line a ton. That has been better in recent games, but Cade Cunningham is still a very good basketball player that I think you want on your team whenever you're trying to rebuild and restore, as they call it in Detroit, as we call it in Detroit. So I think where I'm at is I'm still at the same spot I've been with Cade Cunningham. I'm not any lower. I'm not any higher. I still have some questions that need to be answered. They haven't exactly surrounded him with all the stuff he needs to show that success, though, either. What do you personally think they need to surround him with? More scoring, more floor spacing. This team is essentially last in the NBA in three-point attempts and bottom five or six in three-point percentage. Some of that is miscalculation this offseason. Some of that is injuries right now. This team's what would probably be the second best scorer on the team, Boyan Bogdanovich, hasn't played a game yet. Monte Morris, who came in, who's a good backup guard and a good three-point shooter, hasn't played a game yet. Alec Burks has struggled a little bit. Joe Harris, whatever it is, like whatever you think, if there's one thing Joe Harris might be able to provide you, it's three-point shooting. We thought he's been hurt. And he hasn't shot the ball well whenever he wasn't hurt. So just, the floor spacing just hasn't been well. Yeah, the looking at some of the lineup data with Cade, it was tough to really figure out just how much is his fault. Like you mentioned the secondary scoring that they'd need. Yes, yes. One player on the Pistons is averaging more than 11 attempts a game. It's Cade Cunningham averaging 20. Everybody else is averaging 10 or less. And like it's, it's a Sir Thompson that's averaging 10 field goal attempts a game. Um, man, so there's just like not a secondary option to go to. And I mean, you tell me if I'm reading this wrong, but is he more of someone that like he's looking to facilitate and run the offense and they just don't have, like you mentioned Joe Harris shooting 31%. Friend of New York, like we loved Alec Burks when he was here and he just hasn't been that type of off-ball threat. Is that some of the issues that you're you're hinting at? So I'm with you, Andrew. Whenever Cade was coming into the league, I thought of Cade as this all-around player, not this Luca heliocentric, just takes all the usage. I thought he's going to create, he's like a 22, eight and eight guy. He rebounds the ball. He gets assists. He may not average 30 a game. Kind of the role he's had to play is just score. So yeah, for example, the Pistons' next score is now Jaden Ivey, finally. And that's a whole nother conversation I'm assuming we'll get to at 12.7. If we look at the Knicks, whenever I pulled the Knicks team stats, you have 24 a game Jalen Brunson. So let's just say him and Cade are like, you know, leading scores, right? You have three guys over 16 points a game on your team. The next for Cade Cunningham is Jay Nivey at 12.7. So yeah. that just, and Asar Thompson, you brought up, here's what the starting lineup was to start the season, Andrew, for your listeners. Cade Cunningham, Killian Hayes, 
rookie Asar Thompson, who's shooting like 13% from three, Isaiah Stewart, and Jalen Duran. We said this on our pod on Tuesday. Tell me the second option on that on, in that starting five. Who is the, who is a third option of that starting five? There isn't a third offensive option. And that's why Cade is having to play this way. And I'm with you. I don't think he wants to. I don't think that's what his DNA is. If you look at his per quarter stats, he comes out every game and he's really good. His first quarter percentages are awesome. And by the fourth quarter, they're really bad. I flat out just think he's gassed. And his defense hasn't been great. And I think, again, it's because he's being asked to do so much offensively. So the miscalculation this summer was they needed a second bucket getter. They needed someone that could really score. Boyan's been hurt. The Ivy stuff, like I say, that we'll get into, that person just hasn't been there. So let's get into the Ivy stuff now because Knicks fans have a complicated history with yes. two separate guys from that yes. draft, whether yes, it yes. be Jaden Ivey, who they tried to trade up for, yep. or it be Jalen Duran, who yep. they did draft and then traded yes. to the Pistons. So That's right. if we could lump both of them together and sure. just, again, the temperature check, if you want to tell me how Pistons fans feel about both of these rookies, where's Ivy at in year two so far? Where's Duran at in year two so far? This is what's really weird is as frustrated as the fan base is with this team, there's still a lot of hope in the guys we're talking about right now. Jaden Ivey has been awesome. Andrew, he's been absolutely awesome in his minutes this year. But if you look, he's only played 23.7 minutes per game this year because Monty Williams came into the season and said, I'm going to send Jaden Ivey a message that you have to get better defensively or you're not going to start and you're not going to play those minutes. Now. Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it paying off? I don't know. Like, I'm not an NBA coach. I've coached one year at the college level and 13 years at the high school level. Who am I to say? And we're not in the locker room. We don't know. He's back in the starting lineup now. He's finishing insanely better at the rim. He was awful at the rim. Straight up, he was awful at the rim. He got there, but was not good finishing at the rim as a rookie. He's gotten way better there. He plays way more under control. I think he looks really good. The defensive effort is there, Andrew. He just lacks a little bit of awareness and just like the fine tuning of what it takes to be at least a neutral defender in the NBA. I'm as high on Jaden Ivey as I was whenever the Pistons drafted him. Real quick follow-up before we get to, to Jalen Duran. So it's funny you mentioned the the coaching side of this and making him earn minutes. Yeah. I, New York Knicks have head coach Tom Thibodeau and... <laughs> One of the bigger frustrations in year two of Tibbs was how long it took for him to let go of the leash a bit on what Emmanuel quickly yeah, was yeah. earning and not earning. And there's there's a subset of Knicks fans that are like, he was he made quickly earn what he has now as far as minutes. There's another subset that is like, if he had just done this sooner, quickly would have developed anyway. And there's no way to tell who's right and who's wrong. Correct. Having said that, if you had to judge so far like what Jaden Ivey will be in the, the future. I know it's tough to project because he's in year two of his career, but like, is it like the, the mild improvement have you seen is like, all right, we have our backcourt mate for Cade going forward. I, I think so. Like that's okay. probably where, again, this is where this is tough because we're about to talk about Jalen Dern. I think they have a really good backcourt that could be very, very good. Jalen Dern is a walking double, double at the very least. And then if we get to talk about Asar Thompson, he's a premier, I, I, let, let me slow my roll there. 
he looks to be a premier de- wing defender in this league when he really figures everything out. It's hard to say that about a rookie. He's been awesome. He crashes the boards, all of that. We'll, we'll talk about him, I'm sure. So yes, to answer that question, I do think those two, and I think they complement each other well because know what Jaden does, Andrew? It allows Cade to play off the ball a little bit. Jaden pressures the rim. I don't mm. want to say at ease, but like he has this incredible first step. He gets to the rim easier than Cade Cunningham does. And so I think they just work together. And Jaden plays off ball a little bit better than I think a lot of people gave him credit for. And he's much more unselfish than people gave him credit for coming out of Purdue. I thought that was a bad narrative anyway, that he was like not a good passer and selfish player. I don't feel like we've seen that at all throughout his one year and how many ever, you know, 17 games of his NBA career. So let's talk about Jalen Durant because uh, speaking of Knicks fans again, it actually happened at a certain point this season. I don't know if it was a preseason game that it happened where he had something like 17 and 14 in a game or if it was during the season that it happened. But Jalen Duren had a good game and there are Knicks fans that are like, look what we could have had and he could have been our center and we could have built around this and then Mitchell Robinson took a leap and now that talk has died down a little bit. To the Knicks fan that still... uh uh opines for what the Knicks could have looked like if they had kept him in the draft that year and not like not extended Nick or re-signed uh, Nick re-signed Mitch Robinson that year um, tell Knicks fans what they're missing out on in Jalen Duran so far <laughs> I like Mitch Rob I don't want to do this and oh, here's I do too I it's so, uh, m- maybe this is the better questions because like my evaluation which I- I'm not a coach like you I'm not I don't have I'm, I just have like over 30 years of watching the NBA. So that's why that's where my evaluations come from. But like I, I look at Jalen Duran, like best case scenario is like Mitchell Robinson with better offensive ability. Is that is that too low of a of a comp for him? No, I mean, I think that's where a lot of people go, right? Like people, some people say like baby Dwight Howard and so like what you're looking at right now is a dude that kills on the offensive boards because he's so darn athletic. He is a play finisher, those type of things defensively, there's real room to grow. I think that's the biggest thing with Jalen Duran is he doesn't value positioning enough, especially in ball screen defense. You'll see him out of position. He doesn't get where he needs to whenever the screen's being set. So he's late getting there playing with verticality. And like just conditioning slash motor stuff needs to improve as well. I think what's exciting about Jalen Duran, Andrew, is what he can do with the ball in his hands is potentially being able to pass and short roll and DHO and some of those type of things. So we like, there's a, I think there's a higher ceiling. Now, what percentage is that ceiling? I don't know, but I think there's a very high ceiling in terms of if some of these subset skills come around, he can really, really turn into more than just that, just that type of player. With that said, I love Mitchell Robinson And I freaking love Isaiah Hartenstein. Like Hartenstein may be one of my favorite players in the league, partly because I think he's so darn underappreciated. So I think the Knicks are fine with where they're at with their center position right now. Say it louder for the Knicks fans (laughs) in the back that don't agree with you, but I agree. And I also don't think there's anything wrong with like saying Jalen Duren might have like a higher ceiling than both of these guys in the future. If you're in a win now situation like the Knicks are, they needed the present to be the priority, which is a calculation not a lot of fans make, you know? And that would be interesting, right? Like this is how, this is where I find it tough is I've only been able to evaluate these guys, even to Killian Hayes and Isaiah Stewart and all of these guys on a team that's not competitive 
not necessarily trying to win games until this year and definitely aren't playing in play-in and playoff games, right? So I love Jalen Duran. I love him for this Pistons team. It's really interesting to think is, how would I feel about Jalen Duran on the New York Knicks trying to go compete and get to an Eastern Conference Finals and, you know, defending, uh, uh, not Robin Lopez, Brooke Lopez, good Lord. Brooke Lopez, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and Joel Embiid and those type of guys in playoff settings. I don't know if he would be ready for that. If people got to remember, he was the youngest player in the league last year, Andrew, in the entire league. He's actually younger than the Pistons' first-round pick this year, Asar Thompson. To say he would be ready for what you guys need, I'm not sure. With that said, the role of pick-and-roll, offensive rebound, play finisher isn't super taxing, but would he do it better than Mitch Rob? I don't know. Well, I guess... Time will tell, and we'll do pregame pods in the future. We'll have this conversation again. Um, so the other players, like we've talked a ton about Oscar Thompson, and the only other players that player I was going to ask about was Killian Hayes, as we're in year four of his career. I guess the way I'll phrase this this question is more: Who are the keepers? Like when this team's ready to compete, whether it be next year or like who knows, maybe later this year, or even just like in the future. Who are the keepers? What's the, the the core that you see is like these guys will still be here when we're on the other side of this? Assuming you don't have to use them in a trade, I would say the four we've talked about, Cade, Jaden, Asar, and Jalen Duran. I think Marcus Sasser probably has a role. He's looked pretty solid um, okay. just as a, a backup guard. Like, And again, if he has to be included in a trade to go get a bigger piece, I don't think anybody's shedding a whole lot of tears over that. Those are really the only four dudes that would really make me think super, super hard. The rest are either veterans that are on expiring deals anyway. Isaiah Stewart is probably the one the fan base would debate the most. Some people really value what Isaiah Stewart brings and have some faith and hope in him. Others don't see it and don't even think he's an NBA player. I fall somewhere in the middle. I think Isaiah Stewart is a third big and I think Isaiah Stewart is a guy that, especially if the three-point shooting can stick, he's like right under 40% on four attempts right now. If that can stick, that's a guy that can play in the playoffs. But again, if you told me you had to move Isaiah Stewart to acquire the big name, the second score, whatever, if this team needs it, they really value what he does culturally for this organization, though. Just like the way he goes about his business. Isaiah Livers has some fans, but I don't, I don't think it's at that level at all. I mean, listen, Killian has his fans. You brought up Killian. Killian has his fans. I I don't know what to say about it. I, I like to, st I steer clear of Killian, so. Oh, so that's like a, a do not touch topic. Not for me no personally, part. just in general, okay. because like you just can't win. He is, he is the most polarizing player on this roster in terms of if you say something good about him, the people that don't like him, take it as their absolute life mission to tell you that he should be out of the league. And if you say something somewhat critical of him, his biggest fans make it their life mission to tell you why he has gotten a raw deal and is a good player in the league. And so I just kind of leave it alone for the most part because it's really not worth the discussion. Brother, 
I have never related to someone more than hearing your com- your thoughts and your experience in the Killian Hayes conversation um, because we went through some of these of our own. Now, I'm actually going to throw the Obi Toppin hive a bone. Oh, Obi Toppin, okay. I always said, was like in on the wrong team. Like he had to go to a team that would utilize his skill set. Sure. And we're seeing it. He's a role yeah. player on the best offense in the NBA. That's absolutely why. I would expect from Obi Toppy being utilized at the best of his ability. I never yeah. thought like you should break up the team to try and make sure Obi Toppin, they've just, they traded him and found another replacement and they're 11th in offense. So I'm okay with it. What this is reminding me a lot of is the Frank Nilakina hive Ooh, here in New York. I can see that. Yep. So I, I always said there is like a very high defensive ceiling with Frank. I, I don't know how low the ceiling is with Frank on offense. It's very low, though. And here we see it like he's bouncing around teams in the NBA right now. And outside of one game where Luke, two games where Luca went off twice in that series against the Suns two years ago, like he really hasn't found a home since leaving the Knicks. But you can't talk to anybody about him. You just say like, hey, hoping for the best. Yeah, like that's really all you can because you can't have a rational conversation about it either way. He doesn't stink. He isn't like the best. No, he's just hoping for the best. No, that is so perfect too because it's the same player in terms yep. of Killian has this defensive reputation. I'm not even going to give my honest opinion on his defense because again, you're hoping for the best. I'm hoping for the best. <laughs> and then offensively, it's been a little. Now he has found some stuff like. I came into, here's where I was coming into the year, Andrew. This is where I was truly at with Killian Hayes is. I said, I wanted to see 82 games of Killian Hayes on this team to find out whether he's a NBA rotation player or not. Like to say Killian Hayes shouldn't even be on, you know, a 13th man or something. Like absolutely there's a spot for him on a roster probably still at his age. Is he a guy that can be your third guard or your fourth guard? Is he a fifth guard, especially at his age? That's what I came into the year wanting to see and figure out. And this is where the Jay Ivey stuff really got bad, Andrew, is it was Killian Hayes starting over Jay Ivey. Ah. It, it wasn't, you can almost understand if it was Alec Burks getting buckets, shooting 45% from three starting over J.I. It was Killian Hayes starting over Jay Ivey. And as you could imagine, the people that think Killian Hayes should be, and now national media has got into it. That was the worst. It was McMahon or Bon Temps, whichever one said that Killian Hayes should be punted to the moon. Oh my God. <laughs> and then here's what's crazy. He played awesome the very next game. He played awesome the next night. And so, you know, people had a field day with it. And I was just like, I haven't muted Killian Hayes on Twitter. Like, you know what I mean? Like muted words. Oh, I know. I have words <laughs> muted too. Don't worry. <laughs> but it's, it's almost to that point. And again, I truly want Killian Hayes to be good. I want him to succeed. But that's where I'm at with just kind of that discussion. There are a lot of those discussions that come up, especially in a season like this. Yes. You know, or an era like this, because like the Knicks have this three year stretch the 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 last year of Carmelo Anthony, which turned into a rebuilding year, the year after the first year of Kristaps Porzingis, which he gets his ACL torn midway through the season, and then they just like lose every game the rest of the year. Then the next year, they trade Porzingis during the season, but win seventeen games, and there's so much uncertainty in the roster. And I I can hear the same conversations and what you're talking about at the end of that seventeen win season that were like, listen, I'll go all in on this, but I'm not trading Frank. I'm not trading Mitchell Robinson. 
And lo and behold, I'm not trading Kevin Knox was part of the conversation. Now member of the Detroit Pistons. How's Kevin doing these days? There's a soft spot in Knicks fans' hearts because we recognize he was the wrong pick, but way more so because of who came after Kevin Knox, which was Mikael Bridges, Miles Bridges, Shea Gilgis Alexander, and Michael Porter Jr. So it's more of the what we could have had and less necessarily about what we got. But how's he doing these days? Listen, I, I, I like Kevin Knox. He's one of those guys that... He has a jump shot that looks like it's going to go in every single time. I remember when they first got him, I was like, man, this jumper looks good. I think I went back and watched some of the games you're talking about, and I may have a bad tweet about, man, this was some of the worst like basketball I've ever had to watch back in those years, and now it's karma because I'm watching 2-15. and 15 you're watching there. it. Yeah. yeah, so <laughs> that's what I get for tweeting something like that. Knicks fans, you, there you go. Karma is real. No, he, he helped him win a game in Denver last year. He played awesome uh, for the Pistons last year. He ended up getting a spot after the season started because of all the injuries and and all of that. He's not in the rotation or he he wasn't coming into Wednesday night when we're recording this anyway. Those things change obviously night to night. I I don't, you know, he, I wish he would just knock down shots. I think Mm. he's shooting really well right now, actually, but it's just one of those things where he just hasn't been able to find his footing completely. But yeah, I kind of like him too. Like I say, he looks like he's going to make every shot he takes. Like you said, there there has to be a consistency in his bucket getting yes. because of what he allows on the defensive end. Yes. Look, his second month in the NBA, he won Rookie of the Month. And it's this weird like vacuum of like, did the Knicks find something? Because then the rest of the season, he was given unlimited carte blanche, do whatever he wanted on offense. I think it hurt him because then the next two years... He was told like, okay, Marcus Morris is playing over you. RJ Barrett's playing over you. Julius Randle's playing over you. Like you name it. And he just got further and further down the depth chart. And I, I have no idea if he's just going to bounce around the league as like, like, so I call the last two weeks of every NBA season, LA fitness week, because nobody plays defense and it's just like unlimited offense. Right. And last year, Kevin Knox was averaging like 28 a game during LA fitness week. Is that like his his time to shine. And I wonder if that's how he's going to bounce around the league or if there is a solid rotation spot for him in a league somewhere. So I guess we'll see. Yeah. Because know? he's done some of that in the summer as well. I think it was uh-huh. not this past summer, but the summer before at the Rico Hines runs or whatever he was kill- like in four games with the Pistons, he's 51% from the field and 44% from three. So, you know, in the four games I and mean, he started two games, I think. And so in those games, he, made shots. I, I, he tries to get after it defensively and all that. You know, some guys just have limitations, right? Like we say, try harder. Some guys just literally lack the awareness and it's it's not always as easy as just watching film and improving on it. If it was that easy, I think more guys would be better at it. Can I ask you from a, a coaching standpoint, sure. like, do you, cause I, I think a lot of people look at him and say like, he's a, he's a four, like he has yeah. to eventually play the four. And I thought, from my limited time watching Kevin when he was in New York, like this man is not going to be able to guard fours sure. like, full time in his career. He's probably going to have to play the three. And then I don't think he's quick enough to, to yeah. guard three. So I don't know it. Like, where do you, where would you like, what, what do you have to put around Kevin Knox? If you're going to justify putting him in a rotation? No, that's, I think I'm with you, Andrew, because I don't think he can chase guys at the three, chase them off screens and, and those things. And then at the four, it's like, okay, he's going to get bullied. And I realized like, the NBA is not this ultimate post-up game or whatever, but they'll hump mismatches if they can find one. So it's like, can he be in the second unit as a smaller four 
and not really get exposed by team's second unit four man who probably isn't going to bully ball you type of thing. You know, can, yeah. can you be the 10th man in the rotation who some nights may not even play, but if a team's going zone, if you need an offensive influx, if you need some energy and the other team has the right matchups to allow it, then you put him out there, right? And so I think if he's consistently making shots and he's competing and doing some of the little things, at least playing hard, that would be his path to being a rotation player. I think you just nailed it. He's going to have to be like a 45. Like You can't yes. take that offense off the floor. He's a 45% three-point shooter. Because even if he's like 37, it's like, it's that's, not good not, enough. Yeah. that's not enough. He has to be exceptional at shooting the three. So that I kind of... He's gotten that, ironically, that is to say this, but Duncan Robinson's actually improved defensively. He's not as much of a traffic cone. Um, he can be sometimes a liability, depending who's attacking him. But like, I look at what the Heat do, and they're like, okay, we need Duncan on the floor. And they did this throughout the playoffs, but we're going to hide him by surrounding him with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and all of these smart defensive players. So that way, we justify keeping him on the floor. And he's kept himself in the rotation this year. So, I don't know. I just, I wonder, this is a lengthy conversation about Kevin Knox. I'm sure you didn't expect I love it. I love it. Today. I love it. It's all good. There you go. It's um, better so, than talking about Killian Hayes. So that, uh, let's, who you're hoping for, I'm hoping for the best for Kevin Knox, yeah. too. Exactly. Yeah. Sam Hauser is, what, is the perfect example of what we've been talking about, right? Like, good he's call. on the Celtics. Yeah. He shoots the lights out and he's insulated by some really good defenders around him to that point this Pistons team doesn't have very many of those guys exactly so then it's like okay well now you have to put Kevin Knox on Julius Randle right like if he's in your starting lineup that's who you're putting on Julius Randle or even RJ Barrett and now he's kind of getting cooked in those matchups right so I'll go a step further like even if you're talking backup for it's like yeah yeah Josh Hart would get every rebound if yes. Kevin Knox is contesting for it too. Yes. So even in a lineup like against the Knicks tomorrow night where the Knicks will be throwing a shorter five out, a backup five out there, it's still, I think, going to be successful. Man, we'll see what happens. I'm actually curious if Kevin Knox plays now after we devoted all of this time <laughs> to talking about him. But listen, on behalf of Knicks fans, we wish you literally the best Kevin Knox if you're you or your dad are watching this. His dad... Uh, did an interview with the host of our, well, of our main show. So there's, oh, nice. a, there's, there's, a, there's a connections there. Exactly. Perfect. What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about AG1. Going into this season, I decided it was time to make a change. My digestion didn't feel its best. I felt sluggish, stressed, didn't feel as focused, and knew I needed to do something different. So I decided to give AG1 a try because I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, and I hated taking pills or vitamins. Well, when I started drinking AG1 daily, not only could I see a difference in my daily health, but I finally had energy and noticed how much more relaxed and focused I was. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs such as gut optimization stress management and immune support since 2010 ag1 has led the future of foundational nutrition continuously refining their formula to create a smarter better way to evaluate your baseline health fun fact i recommended ag1 to all my friends family and mrs claudio we drink ag1 first thing in the morning to make sure we have the energy needed to take on a busy day there's no debate ag 
AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash filmschool. That's drink. That's drinkag1.com slash filmschool. Check it out. Two things before I let you get out of here. So first thing, um, I like to turn over the pod to my guests at a certain point and ask okay. if they have questions for me about yeah. the Knicks, whether Let's it's thoughts it. about it. the Knicks or whatever. So the floor is yours, Bryce. Any thoughts or questions about the New York Knicks? Am I way too high on Isaiah Hartenstein? Like I literally no, no, love we love him here. We love I, him here. Okay. And yeah. that's, that was my other thing was do Knicks fans love so I thought the game against the Heat, I thought he, it was the Heat, right? The comeback game. I thought he actually made the play that shifted the momentum. He had a chase down block that turned into an IQ th- uh, three-point make. Mm-hmm. And now the comeback didn't necessarily start right there, but the momentum shifted right there. The Heat kept it even for a little while. And then the fourth quarter, I think it was, is when the, the complete came back. But he, every one of my notes from the games where I've watched the Knicks, I think I've watched like six or seven full games this year of the Knicks. It's like, I love Isaiah Hartenstein. I love Isaiah Hartenstein. He makes winning plays. He does all of these things. So I'm like, am I a bad evaluator of basketball or is this guy actually pretty good? And do Knicks fans think that he's good? So my best representation for Knicks fans of how we feel about Isaiah Hartenstein is like Mitchell Robinson is clearly taking an all defense leap this year. Sure. Yeah. And there are certain games where I'm in favor of Hartenstein closing over him. Like that's how good he's been um, this season. That's how good he was last year where it was like a toss up sometimes about whether they should close with Hartenstein um, over, over Mitch. And like you're mentioning a defensive play, which like that's a tips principle with the, the rim protection. But his passing and the yes. ability to run yes. your offense out of the high post so that way the rim opens up for these guys that like to drive like IQ and RJ and Josh Hart and all these guys in the second unit. It's so amazing to watch, especially when you have like Mitch in the dunker spot 100% of the time. Now, I've actually like admired how the Knicks have brought Mitch further and further away from the rim at times. Some they run these horn sets sometimes to, sure. to get Jalen Brunson going downhill. But man, I, I Hartenstein, I think the Knicks have the best two center duo in the NBA, which I don't I don't know. Like obviously like Jokic plus whoever is better. But as far as starter and backup, I think the Knicks have the best combination in the NBA. Yeah, they have they have, especially because like you said, Mitch Robb is a terror on the offensive boards, but is also playing really well defensively. And then you have this guy coming in. All right, IQ. He's a guy that I'll be honest. When I saw him at Summer League a couple years ago, I was like, man, I don't necessarily love the way he plays. And he's always taking these transition pull-up threes from 35 feet. But then I watched and I'm like, here's how I would say it. So I'm interested to see if you and, and Knicks fans would say I'm wrong. When he keeps it simple, when it's catch and shoot or catch and attack downhill, I love him. He's one of my favorite players in the game. And I think he's awesome offensively. Maybe you got to live with some of the other stuff or am I wrong in, in trying to even eliminate that stuff from his game? Some of the, maybe they aren't wild attempts. Maybe they look that way to me, but maybe you guys don't see it that way. So what I'll say is if the sample size you're using is that summer league stretch, then like he's gotten significantly better. There's way less of that. So much less of it. And I think last year it kind of crystallized that 
he's just the the workout videos I always take with a grain of salt when sure. a player posts their week workout videos over the summer. Yeah. He's gotten stronger. He's able to absorb contact more. And those wild attempts that he was just looking for a call early on in his first year. Um, he's actually absorbing contact and going up strong. And, you know, some of his wilder shots in the lane or at the rim are now, he's now finishing despite um, like not getting a call sometimes. And some of the three pointers, I think he he worked on it this offseason that if he's going to take those shots, he's at least going to have to be more consistent on it. Yeah. And look, he's shooting like 38% from three this year, even with some of those wilder shots. His shooting is always going to be the question. And like he's he was extension eligible this offseason and the Knicks chose not to. And from all the reporting we gather, um, they're far apart on an extension. Like the Knicks more view him in the four for 80 range, like what they gave Josh Hart and IQ saw what Devin Vassell and um, uh, 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 Jaden McDaniels got. And those are starters. And yeah. there is a subset of Knicks fans that is like, you got to pay him like a starter because the other thing that's absolutely improved since that summer league stretch he is one of the best off-ball defenders on the team, and I'd argue in the NBA, especially for his size. So while he's not like a pushover on the ball, his off-ball, where he is in passing lanes, where he is in coverages, it's it's game-changing. And so I, we're big fans of IQ over here. Absolutely, I've come around. Like truly, I've come around. And it's probably this year. Um, Quentin Grimes. Quentin Grimes was the guy with Sam on the Game Theory podcast when we did our breakout players, and we had context around that. So I don't want people to like go too crazy, but we had different subsets of who what we were considering. But he was a guy we talked about. What what is where's the fan base with him? Because one thing I've noticed, he he always takes the toughest matchup defensively, but scoring wise. You know, seven points a game. It's non-existent. Yeah. It's yeah, <laughs> the, the percentages aren't great. And so what is the thought there? Like, is there even a thought of like maybe maybe we take him out of the starting lineup and insert somebody else? Or does what he do defensively is that valuable enough? So it's funny. Last year, we couldn't wait for them to pull Evan Fournier out of the starting <laughs> five to get Quentin Grimes yeah. in. Yep. And that starting five was outstanding the entire season. This year. While the starting five has been outstanding, like it's a plus six overall, like it's it's not broken. For two games when Quentin Grimes was hurt, they started Dante DiVincenzo, yeah, and that lineup was immaculate. Like it was it was insanely good. And he looks sometimes they just don't look for him. He'll go four or five minutes without the ball. There, that's the issue sometimes with the Thibodeau offense. It's very read and react, and sometimes they don't read that they need to get Quentin Grimes a shot here. Now, I do think there's been a more of an emphasis on ball movement and like he's if, if, they, if there, are, there are plenty of possessions where Julius out of the post will back a guy down and when the double comes, it's three passes. It's a pass out and then around to the left corner where Quentin Grimes is perfect. They did this twice on back-to-back possessions against the Hornets recently and I, I thought I, I saw God. Like I was like, oh my gosh, like this is the realized version of the Knicks. Um, <laughs> He does a thankless job on defense. Yes. And then he his minutes and his usage just go down. There's Knicks fans that are like, just just give it time. Like it's not broken. The off the starting lineup is good. The bench lineup as is is even better. And then there's Knicks fans that are like, we're better with quickly starting. We're better with DiVincenzo starting. We're better with other options in there. And he might even get more usage with the second sure. unit. Yeah. So 
look, I'm I'm a fan of Grimes. I recognize he's in a, a role that is it takes a lot of buy in. But for the most part, from what I can tell, he's bought in. So I don't I don't think there's an issue there yet. That's why I was just curious. Like I said, I I obviously took note of who he was defending every right. single game. And there's a lot of value, right? Because then Jalen Brunson doesn't have to do that, which is nice because he takes so much offensive usage. So there's a lot of value in Grant. And go ahead. So one other note, because this is the leap that RJ's taken this year. Yes. Last year, you almost needed Grimes on the floor to guard the best player because if you're playing next to Jalen Brunson, like you're probably closing with Quickly, who, as I mentioned, is not like your stopper. He's not Drew Holiday that's going to guard your other team's best player. Yeah. What we've seen recently, because he was Tibbs was closing last year almost consistently with one of Hartenstein or or Mitch, then Randall, Josh Hart, Quickly, and Brunson. Like that was the closing five. Like RJ wasn't even closing games because of how bad he was last year. And this year, what RJ's done defensively and how yeah. much better he just flat out looks, we've actually seen him like like the Heat game that you're talking about. Yes. It was a vote of confidence that Tibbs was like, I'm going to take Josh Hart out and trust that RJ can guard Jimmy Butler down the stretch while we're trying to mount this comeback. And it worked. Like I'm, I'm, I agreed with the decision. Like, you know what? We need RJ's ability to create an offense over what Josh Hart brings. So, you know, it almost wonder if because RJ's taping a leap, if it almost okay. hurts Grimes as a result. You can sacrifice that a little bit or Barrett can take the matchup. Yeah, I had in my notes from that game, you know, he had some big buckets late in the game, and then he had some impactful defensive plays late in the game as well from that exactly. Heat game. And so that really stood out to me because I've been a little bit up and down with RJ, just like, is the efficiency there? Everything looks like he should just be this real good three-level scorer, bucket getter. And then sometimes I watch games or look at box scores. Obviously, I box score watch as well. I'm not watching 82 Knicks games, obviously. And I'm like, dang, man, like 16 points on 17 shots. but. Mm -hmm. It looks good. Like I just That's RJ though. That's it RJ. It looks good. It's like you really have to like you you mentioned the the hot button issue of Gillian Hayes. Yeah. RJ approached that last season because <laughs> he was objectively by every metric and every eye test horrific last year. Then in the playoffs, he had his best eight games as a pro. And it was like, oh, wait a minute, like or eight game stretch, I should say, as a pro. And now we thought, okay, let's see if that carries over. And for the first six or so games of the season, it did. He got hurt and missed a couple games with a migraine. And since he's come back, some of the shooting numbers have normalized and regressed back to the mean. The defense hasn't, though. And if he can just be that, like, yeah. a, a net positive on defense, that's all I need. I don't need you to be a 50% three-point shooter, which was never going to be real, right? Even though he's, I think, at yeah. 45 right now. Like... I just need you to be a positive on offense. Cause then like I just mentioned, you can play quickly consistently with yeah. him and that's your closing lineup. Yeah. That makes up the offense. If it's not there on a given night, I, Bingo. we don't need to get into Julius Randall. I just, I have a soft spot for Julius Randall because of this. So this is my Knicks connection. So I started doing the pod in December of 2020. So we're just, as we're kind of coming out of COVID or still, you know, whatever we went through the whole piston season. And towards the end of that season, I found out how to do video stuff. So I saw okay. these other people doing video things. I'm like, I can do this. I want to do this. I got to do it for like five Pistons games. And then the season was over. Obviously, they're not playing in the playoffs. So I'm like, I'm going to do it for just NBA teams. The first video I ever did and posted on Twitter that really popped was a Julius Randle breakdown, kind of defending him 
in the Hawks series, I believe was the playoff series that year with how loaded up the Hawks defense was. And it was like, look guys, Julius Randle has nowhere to go against this defense. And that video got a ton of views. It obviously didn't go like general NBA, but Pistons people saw it and the success it was having. And it kind of got my first job writing, doing videos. And then that's just progressed onto everything else. And so Julius Randle, like will always have a soft spot in my heart because a video over him against the Hawks in the playoffs was kind of my start doing some of the other non-podcasty stuff that I do as well. So last question before I let you get out of here. I ask every single guest that comes here this, the Mount Rushmore of rivals. Like every time the schedule comes out, we as Knicks fans, we have four teams that we circle or certain teams that we circle. Maybe it's more than four. Maybe it's less that like these are the games we look forward to. The Heat game that you referenced that you watched, that was absolutely circled on the calendar when the Celtics come into town or it's weird. The Brooklyn thing you'd think is a game we look forward to. It's not. They've never mattered. (laughs) So like there was three years where they had Kevin Durant and Kyrie and it only really mattered like one year when they were all together. So other than that, it's really not them ever. But I'm curious for for a Pistons fan, who are the teams, the four teams that you circle when the calendar is issued out for the NBA? Okay, so I got to, again, complete trend. I was not a Pistons fan until December of 2020. Whenever the pod started, Okay, I, I was not a Pistons. I live in Kansas. This, okay. this was not a thing. It, it was an opportunity that I took and ran with. And so my historical fandom is not very good, Andrew. But I think hopefully, so if if there's something Pistons fans are going to get mad about, it may be my answer here. I'm going to say the Bulls, the Celtics, the Lakers, and the Pacers historically. Now, I want to give a few teams that more like here and now, I feel like people circled the Bucks because the Bucks just have beat them so many times. The Raptors, because of when... Toronto plays in Detroit. They really, really travel. And there's a cage, Scotty Barnes thing. Ah, okay. Got it. The the Rockets, because of the cage, Jalen Green, and because the Rockets are being so good. It's like the measuring stick games, right? Mm -hmm. For a while, that was the Thunder as well. Now that's that's not even a thing anymore. So uh, there's a couple of those teams, maybe even the Cavs. But I think historically, I hope I'm I'm right here, Bulls, Celtics, Lakers, Pacers. That makes sense. The Celtics and Lakers. I was curious if they yeah. they would show up. The like I was talking when we had the Celtics on, and I asked uh, Jack Simone of how about them Celtics this question. He said like every older Celtics fan would be like, you have to include the Pistons. Like I yeah. grew up in an era where Isaiah Thomas and Bill Lambeer and yep. Joe Dumars and all of those bad boys were public enemy number one. And now that rivalry, even though they played each other during the big three Celtics year in 2008, like that's just gone. Yeah. And then obviously the Lakers rivalry, that's that's one that goes back pretty far. So yeah. I I think you represented it pretty well from what yeah, I was so like, And like you mentioned the Rockets, like they're two Thompson twins. Yeah. yeah that, that, that on play top against of it. each other. So yeah, that was like the historical one is right. Going back to the bad boys and who they were playing against and trying to be. And then obviously going to work was the Lakers with all of that. And so. I think the new ones coming now, yeah, are more of like who, what other teams are trying to build this out at the same time as the Pistons and Cade being the face of the franchise right now, who are kind of his individual, you know, like Tyrese Halliburton is another one because you mentioned earlier Kevin Knox and the people that was drafted after him. Killian Hayes, 
Tyrese Halliburton was drafted after Killian Hayes. Mm-hmm. And so that is a name that really, really sticks with Detroit Pistons fans currently. <laughs> Want to talk about really relating. Um, you know who else was at, drafted ahead of Tyrese Halliburton and one pick after Killian Hayes? Obi Thompson. It's- Obi Toppin. So there are a lot of Knicks fans that for a while were like, you didn't have a point guard for decades and you could have had Halliburton. Now we love Jalen Brunson. Like we love Jalen Brunson, the godsend that Jalen Brunson has been for this franchise. We wouldn't trade it for anything. We do. That was like a two year process of getting over the fact that we could have had, like you had Randall already. And if you had no plans to trade him, why did you take Obi? So Um, you know, we'll see. I will say there is like a Knicks Pistons connection and it's not as rivalries, but like Bernard King has a very legendary 1984 playoffs in which he took the Pistons to five games and averaged over 40 points a game in that five game series. So I know there's a lot of old head Knicks fans that are like, we have moments against the Pistons in the playoffs too, <laughs> when they're listening. Um, Bryce, you've been outstanding. We went longer than we initially planned to do this. Listen, so I appreciate you you making Andrew, the time for that, me. That is legitimately every time I guest on any podcast. So I'm long-winded. I love to talk hoops. I was expect. I, I looked at all the other episodes. It's like, okay, he's usually trying to keep it to 30, 35, 40. It looks like maybe. I was like, nah, we're going. <laughs> me, and, <laughs> me and Sam have recorded like almost three-hour episodes that we had Ooh. to that we had to cut in half into two different ones. So again, like this was no surprise to me. Hopefully it's, it's okay for the listeners and for you and everybody else. Well, so the last question before you, you officially leave to the Knicks fan with so much PTSD that sees potentially a Pistons team coming in here on a 15 game losing streak. And they're worried that we're going to be the team to break it. What do you have to say to them? Whether it be like, yes, you should be worried. This Pistons (laughs) team has some fight. Or if you want to put them at ease, you'd be like, listen, you're the better team. As long as you don't screw around, you should win this game. Yeah, I just feel like the Pistons always struggle to score against the Knicks. Like they're just going to be physical and beat them up. And I think that that's not a great recipe for Detroit. I mean, I guess what, what, like Stu is a decent matchup for Julius Randle. Duran with Mitch Rob, like maybe there's some things you could talk yourself into canceling out, but the second unit, you brought that up earlier, how good your second unit is. The Pistons aren't showing that depth right now. I just, they've got to find it somewhere. I don't know what the score is right now tonight as we're recording. Um, I don't know if I want to know right now. You don't. <laughs> I checked. You don't. Sorry. <laughs> awesome. The Lakers were coming up getting beat by like 40. So I figured this wasn't going to be great. So I don't know when it's going to end for Detroit. It's I, I'm not counting on it being against a Knicks team that just seems to play hard all the time. Well, we'll see what happens, whether the the thoughts and fears of every Knicks fan that went through the last two decades of fandom uh, are realized or if uh, they're able to take care of business. Bryce, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Before you get out of here, tell the fine folks at home where they can find you and all your stuff. Yeah, so at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. Again, it's a lot of piss and stuff, guys, but I am moving more into general NBA. I do a ton of NBA draft stuff. Not that Knicks fans need to worry about that yet, but if, you know, whenever you're ready to talk about that, and Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini. I can't imagine any of you want to listen to the Pistons Pulse, but if you do, that's <laughs> often recording live on Tuesdays, dropping on Wednesdays. Andrew, man, I, I had a blast. I love talking hoops with hoops people, no matter where they're from, what they're doing, who they're covering. This was amazing. If you ever need NBA draft stuff, I know you got bigger fish you can bring in, but I love to talk about that as well. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you, Bryce. 
A huge thank you to Bryce for coming on today's pod. You know what to do. The KFS bump. Go on over to the link in your description of this episode. Five stars. If you want to just go leave a comment on their YouTube videos, say you loved Bryce on the KFS podcast. I'd greatly appreciate it. I know they would greatly appreciate it. As always, take care of the people that make time for us. As far as I'm concerned, that'll do it for me on this podcast. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and a review. I will be back, health pending. Um, (laughs) That sounded so dark. I'll be back in the future. It's most likely going to be Friday morning to preview the Knicks matchup against the Raptors. I have a pregame pod planned. I'm going to go take some Mucinex and some... Nighttime, not all at the same time. I promise, Mom. I'm not. I'm not mixing medicine cocktails. I'm being safe. I promise. But I'm gonna go lay down. And until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Enjoy the game tonight, and I'll speak with you soon. Peace. <laughs>